All right, here we go. Luke chapter 4, verses 22 through 30. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you would tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people of the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through this passage of Scripture as we recognize, God, that this is the year of the Lord's favor. We pray that you would convince us of the sufficiency of your good grace. That's our prayer today. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. That's not fair. Who here has ever said that? That's not fair. Oh, well, not everybody. Who here has ever thought that? That's right. You don't have to be a parent, but if you're a parent, you've heard this many times. That's not fair. But even if you're not a parent, I know you've thought it. You've thought it when you filled out your taxes. You've thought it when you've watched election results. You've thought it when you saw the coach's son starting over your grandchild. You and I, we know that's not fair. And the more you think about it, the angrier you can become. Because when you say that's not fair, what you're really doing is you're comparing treatment of one person to the treatment of another. And principally, you are the one person. You say, that's not fair to me. And if you think about it enough, you could become very, very angry. There was a beautiful young girl who got a dance part that my daughter deserved. I love this beautiful young lady, but I love my daughter more. And I could not watch her dance. I'm talking about the beautiful young lady. Because that's not fair. I'm just, I'm being transparent here. And the more I thought about it, the angrier I became to the place where I didn't think she was a beautiful young girl. I thought she's not as good as my daughter. It corrupted my whole view because I thought it wasn't fair. I think that's what's going on in here in Jesus' first sermon in the Gospel of Luke. <clears throat> His first sermon, he's a hometown boy. He comes to this town, maybe of two to 3,000 people, and after he preaches a sermon, 
he quotes what I read to you today, and you know what? They wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. Now, I read this. I read the sermon last week. It seems kind of anemic. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing you would take to kill somebody. But it wasn't his proclamation the year of God's favor. It was the comparison. They said in so many words, this is not fair. Jesus acknowledges that. He's, he says in his sermon that you're going to say, do the things here that we heard that you did in Capernaum. So let's see what he did in Capernaum. Turn in your Bibles a couple books back to Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. If you're reading the Bible in a year with us, you've already read through this a couple days ago. Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 and 24 reads like this. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing, what, what's your text say? Every disease and sickness among the people. Every disease and sickness he healed. News about him spread all over Syria. Yeah, I think so. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering from severe pain. Anybody here suffering with severe pain? The demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Now look what he did in Capernaum. In the region of Galilee, they also call Galilee the Galilee of the Gentiles. See, there's in, at this time, there's two races of people. There's Jews, and they call themselves Jews, and there's everybody who's not a Jew. Everybody who's not a Jew is called Gentiles. So Jesus is in the region of the Gentiles, and he does this stuff. Every known disease, paralytics, people with severe pain and demon-possessed, and he heals them all. And he goes to his own hometown, and you know what they're expecting. They're expecting the hometown discount, aren't they? Come on, let's be honest. If he's going to do that for those people there, those Gentiles... They don't even obey the law. Do you know that? They don't even know the law. They're not circumcised. They haven't been given the promise of Abraham. They don't follow the Mosaic law. They're those people out there. They're unclean. And he does all of that. Boy, when he comes to his hometown, wow, it's going to be great. Now, why did they want Jesus to do these things? Did they want Jesus to be a performer? Hey, look, hometown boy's coming home. Watch him do his magic. Watch him cast out a demon. That's really cool. One time he casted out demons and they all went into pigs and they ran over and committed suicide into the sea. I mean, he does some amazing stuff. Check it out. Come, come on, I'll, I'll pay your admission. I'll bring you a little fold-out seat. You can watch this. Maybe they wanted the performance of it all. That's why some people like going to church. Not that we do a good job of performing here. 
But for them, church is a Sunday morning performance. It's a concert. It's a good talk. It's a light show. It's something. Maybe they just wanted to see God's goodness. You know, you can go a long time and you believe that God is living and active, but you don't see God answering prayers like maybe you think he should or would. If he really is a loving God, he wouldn't let these things happen. He would intervene, wouldn't he? And how affirming it is when something good happens and you know it's from God, and you're like, God is good. See, look what God did. It's always great to have affirmation. Maybe they didn't want a performance. They just wanted some of God's goodness right here in the hometown. Do something good for us. Maybe they just wanted special treatment. If God did that through Jesus and the Gentiles' territory, boy, when he comes home, I can't wait to see what he's going to do. But what really made them mad is that he did not do those things in his hometown. He just stood up and read. He just stood up and read from the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. They already had that. This is nothing new. He didn't say, well, you know, on the way here, I thought I'd sit down and write a few words and I'm going to deliver to you a unique poem that nobody's ever heard before. I'm performing this for you. This is going to be wonderful. You're going to love it. You're going to be the first ones to hear this. Nope, no, he doesn't do that. He stands up. He takes the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which they already had. He didn't even bring it with him. They gave him the scroll. And he read from it. He found the passage, the year of God's favor. And he returns the scroll and he said, this is fulfilled in your hearing. And that's it. But what about the Gentiles? Look what they got. We got a guy that reads, which actually is pretty remarkable because probably only 5% of the population read. If you could read back then, that was pretty remarkable. But you know they wanted more than that. So they're mad. They are mad enough to kill him. I don't know if you can relate, but it is tough. It is tough when you compare. When you see favoritism happen in the classroom, teacher's pet, you know what I'm talking about. That's frustrating. When you see the coach's son start over your son or grandson, that, that can really make you mad. Maybe you grew up in a family where one of your siblings was mom or dad's favorites. And everybody knew it. And you're like, yeah, the way you treated me is not the way you treat them. And that can, it could scar you, really. Comparisons, listen to me. Comparisons can suck all the joy out of life. And comparisons can make you do bad, bad stuff. Comparisons are as old as humanity. Check this out. Adam and Eve had two sons named Cain. Oh, that's pretty impressive. Uh, named Cain and Abel. Abel brought an offering to God of the first fruits of his livestock, his flocks, flesh and blood. Cain 
brought an offering to God from the first fruits of his vegetables, from his gardens. Now, in Genesis, it says that God looked upon favor with Abel's offering. In other words, God favored Abel's offering over Cain's. Now, he did not condemn Cain. He didn't say, Cain, I don't like your offering. He said, I like Abel's offering better. This is a long time ago. This is the very beginning. This is the Garden of Eden, right? This is when humanity was just starting to learn that God delights in sacrifice and blood offerings. Okay? In Leviticus, you can offer grain offerings and, and first fruits of your crops. God doesn't dislike those, but he favors or he loves animal sacrifice, blood offerings. So he prefers Abel's over Cain's. Cain gets upset. And God says to Cain, why are you upset? If you do right, you'll be accepted. But that was not good enough for Cain because God favored Abel over Cain. They're in the Garden of Eden. That's a pretty good place, right? They're talking to God. That's, that's more than you and I get, right? But Cain can't handle God's favor toward Abel. So you know what Cain does? You know what he does? He kills him. He kills Abel. And then he hides the body. And God's like, hey, hey, Cain, where's your brother? You all know this by heart, right? Where's your brother? You know what Cain says? Come on now. Am I my brother's keeper? Can you imagine saying that to God? Am I my brother's keeper? But God knew what Cain did because Abel's blood spoke from the ground. Listen, from the very beginning, fairness and comparisons drive people crazy. Even leading to murder. Jesus tells a parable that still makes me mad. Still makes me mad. It's the parable of the prodigal son. You remember the parable? The one son, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me in my inheritance now. I'm going to go squander it on prostitutes and wild living. I run out of money until I've got nothing. I realize that I'm actually living worse than the servants in my dad's house. I'm going to go back home and say, God, or Dad, just hire me. Just hire me because I can't do it on my own. And he comes back, and you know what the father does? He throws him a party. He gives him a ring. They, they uh, sacrifice the, the, the best animal because the son that was lost has returned home. But that's not what bothers me. What bothers me is that the older brother, the other brother, who's been there the whole time, he didn't squander wealth, he didn't participate in wild living and prostitutes, he was there the whole time, he doesn't get a party. And he's mad. And his dad goes out and pleads with him. Son, we have to celebrate because your brother was lost and now he's found. 
And the brother, according to the story, never returns to the dad, never returns to the party. He says, you know, you never so much as gave me an animal when I went to have a party with my friends. He felt like this is not fair. And I can relate because I felt that God is sometimes not fair. I think you have too. The Bible even complains about God's fairness. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Psalms. Psalm 73. This is just one of many. Psalm 73. Nobody's turning their Bibles. Am I going too fast? Okay. Psalm 73. Verses 1 through 3. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in hearts. But as for me, listen to this confession, verse 2, Psalm 73. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Isn't that interesting? He had almost slipped and fallen. Even though God was good to Israel, but when he saw the wicked prospering, he almost slipped and fell. I think some of us, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we're close to slipping and falling because we don't see God doing in and among us what we thought he would do. It's by comparison. These people were so mad, they wanted to kill Jesus. They tried to. And I don't think it was for shallow reasons. I don't think it was for a light show. Jesus quotes the two things that God did for Gentiles in this passage. The first one was he gave bread to the widow of Zarephath during a three and a half year uh, droughts. Bread. You know, in the ancient world, in this culture, bread was in a highly important commodity. We get so much bread sometimes to the faith Samaritans, we got to throw it away. So much bread's been made. We're giving it to faith Samaritans. We give everybody we can. And there are people like, no, we got too much bread. So it gets thrown away. But in Bible times, Bread was so scarce when Jesus taught the people to pray. He said, give us this day our daily bread. That was a, that was a daily issue. We got, I got bread in the freezer at my house. We just did thought. It's time. More than enough bread. And leprosy. Yeah, Catherine Gordon... Uh, who's our guitar player. This is ironic, the timing of it all. She is a trained filmographer, can I call you that? Filmmaker, Dominican Republic, she was trained. And uh, she showed for us a movie in our Sunday school class today that she produced and directed about a leper colony 
in the Dominican Republic. And she grew up as a girl going to that leper colony every weekend, every weekend as a, as a ministry with her church. And then later, as, uh, after she graduated from the school, she helped to raise money. And they said, hey, you've got some film skills. Help us to produce a movie. So this was her first movie that she produced. And we watched for a leper colony in Dominican Republic. Can you, can you imagine the kind of ministry that's involved in that? The stigma with leprosy, people are afraid to touch. You don't want to get leprosy? Uh, the guy in the movie quoted the Bible and how there's a stigma associated with these lepers because Jesus tells a story of 10 lepers who are healed and remember only one returns. And so the stigma is that if you have leprosy, then you're probably not grateful using the Bible in a wrong way. Here's what God had done in the Old Testament according to Jesus. He gave bread to the widow of Zarephath even though Israel needed bread. And he healed leprosy even though there were plenty in Israel who needed healing. God did great things for the foreigners and the, and the Gentiles. And I, I can relate. The Nazarenes say, hey, we got some people that need some bread. We got some people who have leprosy. Are you not going to do that here? And so they get angry. So, what do we do with that? What's the lesson from today's passage? First of all, here's the lesson. God is gracious to a fault. God abounds in love. God gives rain on the righteous and the wicked alike. Did you get that? God embraces the prodigal son and the older brother. Jesus died on the cross for the loyal, faithful, God-fearing Jews and for the criminal who hung next to him. He died for the world because it's God's desire that not one person perish. So if anything can be said, it's not, that's not fair. Instead, God, you are so unfair because you don't treat me according to my wickedness. You treat me with grace. You treat her with grace. You treat him with grace. You are gracious to a fault. That's how God is. In fact, Jesus tells a parable. We call it the parable that workers paid unequally. You've heard this one before. Guy goes and hires a worker in the morning. They agree to a wage. This is what you're going to get paid if you work. And so the guy works and he gets paid. But here's the problem. Other people come in later on in the day. They don't work as long. They get paid the same thing. Then somebody comes in at the tail end. Probably didn't even, maybe, he probably didn't even get a sweat. He probably stood up, walked over. And he gets paid the same thing. And you know what the, worst for, the first worker thought? He says, that's not fair. Because I'm not getting paid as much. I should be getting paid more than the person who barely worked. And the master said, we agreed to a price. 
In other words, stop comparing. God is good to you and to me right now. You don't see all that's done. You don't see God's goodness, but trust me, God is good all the time. Even the people that don't deserve it, like me. That's how great God is. That's lesson number one. If you can fault God in anything, it's that he's too good. I'd rather not fault him with that, would you? But here's the second lesson. Jesus declares to them that the year of God's favor has come. Let me pull this one back. Sorry about that. Sorry you had to see that. God's favor in the person of Jesus Christ is enough. His declaration that their good news to the poor, prisoners are freed, sight restored, the oppressed go free. That message is good enough. You don't have to have bread, recovery from leprosy, and all these other things. There's always going to be bad things that happen, but the declaration that Jesus has come and has saved the world and has made things right is a good enough proclamation for you and for me. It depends on how you look at life. If you see somebody and you say, oh man, that's not fair what they've had to endure. That's just not fair. Well, what are you comparing it to? To other people? What I want to tell you is that Jesus says that because of his life and his death, listen to what happens. Good news is preached to the poor or good news is given to the poor. The poor are the weak and the outcast and the forgotten. What Jesus brought is a level playing field in fact, maybe not even level, maybe even elevated. You don't have to be powerful. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be charismatic. You don't have to be come from this right family. You don't even have to be law-abiding. You have to be saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's, isn't that great? Isn't that great? We who were nothing because of Jesus, have become something. We are the children of the King. Prisoners are freed. We're not talking about the fake county jail here. We're talking about the captivity that Satan enacts. Remember the phrase, the gates of Hades will not prevail? You see, before Christ came, Satan had sovereignty or authority in the world. There was demon possession. Satan thought he had a foothold. He thought he owned things. And when Jesus came, comes on scene, he cast out demons. He breaks in. He breaks the chains that Satan once had. Satan no longer has authority because in the name of Jesus Christ, that authority is broken. Now, there are people who choose to be enslaved by Satan. But we Christians, we are liberated by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. That's number three, or number two. Number three, sight restored. While Jesus did recover the, the blindness, we're not talking about physical sight. We're talking about the ability 
to see for real, to, to see what you've got, to see what God is doing in this world. So you can look at the world through your own spectrum and say, well, this is not fair. That's not fair. Or you can see the world as look at what God has done and look what God is doing and to see with a spiritual vision. We have that in Jesus Christ because what Jesus did is he reversed the curse. He brought about healing and salvation and hope. He took somebody who was a barbarian and turned them into a, um, a child. And finally, the oppressed to go free. Who's oppressed? People are oppressed, really, sometimes by their own life choices. They're oppressed by their pride. They're oppressed by their addictions. They're oppressed by uh, the things that they attach themselves to. But the radical grace of Jesus Christ breaks that oppression and makes us to be fully human. Our allegiance now is to God. You see, the proclamation that Jesus made, it wasn't flashy. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't what he did in Matthew. But what he said, if you listen to what he said, what he said is that things are different from this time forward. And that is great, great news. They didn't hear it that way. Not at all. Because I, I really think they were stuck in comparisons. Don't leave this church building stuck on comparisons because that's going to take you to dark places. You're not going to be thinking straight. You're not going to be seeing clearly. It's going to lead you to do things that you would never have thought you would do because comparisons, comparisons reject the perfect goodness of God, right? If anything could be said, it's this. God is good to a fault. And the grace of Jesus Christ makes all the difference today. This is the year of God's favor. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to leave the church this morning. Now, I don't want you to, to go home thinking, eh, everything's the same. I want you to recognize that God has done something unique in your life and has, has given you the vision, has given you the eyesight, has given you the opportunity to see things clearly and to give God praise for the sunrise and the sunset and the smiles of your friends and the ability to hold hands and the ability to have forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. God has done so much for us. We've got the solution. Praise God. This is the year of, the year of God's favor. And that's enough. That's enough. Let me pray.